Now, before we get into our next guest, I've just had an email from Brian. And Brian has said, Dear Sally, a friend of mine last week had his gallbladder removed and they found that he has gangrene in his gallbladder. How do you get gangrene in your gallbladder? Great question, Brian. And let me just tell you, gangrene we think of as something that, you know, people get from frostbite or get from diabetes or whatever. But all it means is that the blood supply was cut off. So and when they took out his gallbladder, it probably has its blood supply had been compromised. And it, it's just really saying that it, it wasn't surviving. So it's not your bladder, it's your gallbladder. So your gallbladder's up under your right right ribs and behind your um, liver and your bladder is, is where his pee comes out of your bladder. So it's not your bladder, it's your gallbladder and gangrene is a general term. So hope that answers your question, Brian, and I hope your friend is recovering from their gallbladder. And the best thing about gallbladders these days is when you can take them out using keyhole surgery and people are out of hospital really quickly. Anyway, there's me being the GP again. Um, on the line, and well, before I introduce him, it is absolutely wonderful to hear that in Australia we are a hub of uh, a trial into a COVID-19 vaccine. On the line is Dr. Paul Griffin. He's an infectious diseases specialist and a clinical microbiologist from the Nucleus Network. He's the principal investigator for this particular vaccine trial. Paul, wonderful to speak to you. What's happening? Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So we um, have been working very hard, obviously, to get to this point, and Tuesday we dosed the first volunteers in the southern hemisphere with a, a vaccine for COVID-19. So wow. I think it's a, a big step forward and we're really excited to uh, have commenced this trial. Now, a few questions about it, obviously. Um, is it a live or a dead vaccine? Like A lot of people will be saying, oh, but you know, what if it gave me COVID, like they do with the flu, they say about the flu vaccine every year? Yeah, so there's no live virus involved in the manufacturing of this or in any of these trials. So this is what we call a protein or a subunit vaccine. And what that basically means is we've manufactured a, a bit that's normally on the surface of the actual vaccine and assembled that into these in, into the, what's in the vaccine and injected that into these volunteers. So it really is just something that's normally on the surface of the vaccine that's been created in the laboratory. And the idea then is that will generate immune response against that thing that's normally on the surface, which will then protect people if they subsequently get exposed to the virus. So you're no live virus involved in the process in any way. Now, this virus itself, the, the whole coronavirus family, are, are very elusive as far as trying to get vaccines up. And um, one of the issues that they've been talking about a lot is the fact that the antibody response for people who've had the infection is a bit up and down. You, you don't know whether they're actually going to get it and you don't know whether it's going to be protective. Is that why we're doing the trial? Yeah, so you're quite right. So we're not sure which people get an immune response to the actual virus itself and how long it lasts and if it protects from reinfection. That's all work that's still happening. I guess when we give a vaccine, what we do, though, is we try and manufacture a vaccine so that we get the right type of response and that it's a really strong response and that it lasts even longer than getting a natural infection. So they're the characteristics that we strive for with a vaccine. And, you know, we, we would expect this vaccine will have some of those properties and we just need to prove that in these trials. So will you be looking for um, retesting these people uh, to see if they've got antibodies? I mean, how will you know whether or not it's working? Yeah, so in the phase one trial, the main thing we're looking at proving is that it's as safe as we strongly expect it to be from all the preclinical work we've got to date. But we do do a lot of different tests to see if it's worked. We take blood from these volunteers and we, we do look for antibodies and we look for number and type of antibodies. But we also look at other immune cells to see if they've got the right type of response and, and basically they're primed and ready to go if those people were to subsequently get exposed. So we try and look at whether the vaccine generated the right type of immune response in a lot of different ways. So there's three phases before we could see this available. And so this is phase one. And as you say, you're looking for the safety. 
what's the, what's the next phase and the phase after that about? So phase two is still looking predominantly at safety and we still do those same blood tests to see if the vaccines work. But we start to also look at if people have been protected from the actual infection, still in slightly small numbers. So we still need to do more trials after that. But usually that's in thousands. So the phase one trial is typically around 100 and our trial is 131. The phase two, we're already preparing for that so we can go straight into that with this vaccine. And that'll be 2,200. In the phase three, that's where we really want to look at that real-world experience and prove that people are actually protected, and usually that's in tens of thousands of people. So we'll hopefully progress if the data supports it from the phase one to the phase two very quickly. And again, if the data supports it after the phase two, we'll proceed really quickly with the phase three. So what's the timeline, Paul? What do you anticipate, if all goes to plan, that we might see this vaccine available? So the phase one data should be at a point where we can uh, tell if we're ready for the phase two, hopefully by the end of July. And the phase two will start basically straight away. The phase three should probably be, it's hard to know exactly, but what, what Novavax, the, the company that actually manufactured this vaccine, uh, announced at the, um, the meeting on Tuesday was that they're preparing to have 100 million doses potentially able to be made by the end of this year. So if all the trials go really well and support progressing, it, it's possible that we'll have a significant number of doses may be available by then. Wow. Paul, do you need more people for your trial or are you done? Um, I'd still encourage people to apply because mm -hmm. um, the trial's still ongoing. So we have sites at both uh, Melbourne and Brisbane for Nucleus Network and people can look at the website or the social media and, and uh, potentially volunteer or find out more. So we're, we're always in need of volunteers and you know our volunteers are so crucial because we can't develop any drugs or vaccines without volunteers to participate. So yeah, we're always looking for more volunteers. So that's Nucleus, N-U-C-L-E-U-S, network, or one word, dot com dot au, nucleus, network, dot com dot au. Um, look, all power to you, and uh, um, obviously everyone's got their fingers crossed. Do you know how the other vaccines are going? What happened to the one in Oxford? So, yeah, so there's a number of different vaccines. I think there's now around 12 vaccines that have made it to the point of uh, human trials of this one was the one in the US, the Moderna vaccine, and um, that's progressing reasonably well, I think, as well. The Oxford one, and these two are based on very different technologies. One of those is a um, mRNA-based vaccine, which is a very different way of doing vaccines. And one's a viral vector, so um, that that's where they put part of the virus into a different, more benign virus and give that to people. So they're very different to what we're doing. And, and I think they're progressing relatively well. A bit soon to know too much, though. Sure. Now, tell me, um, I've heard tell that there are... Uh, and, and this is really hard concept, I suppose, for people listening necessarily to, to get. But I understand that although it's all COVID-19, there are various little tiny little variations on them. Um, and there's up to about 76 of these, I understand. Um, my question to you is, um, will the vaccine cover those sort of changes? Yeah, so we know all viruses mutate or change spontaneously fairly readily. They don't really have the error-correcting machinery that, that humans do in their cells. So when these viruses reproduce or replicate, there's always little errors. So it's not really that um, much of a surprise that we've seen slight differences. A lot of those differences have just been detected by actually looking at the sequence. So we don't really know exactly what they mean or how that's actually affected the virus. And in terms of the vaccines, so far we haven't seen any that we think will detract from the vaccines that are around now. But I know a lot of people are worried by that. And, and I would say that if we do see some really big changes, so there's some really different strains, then I think it wouldn't be too hard for us to potentially add a second one to the vaccine. So while it might pose a, a little bit of a challenge to, to tweak it accordingly, I think it's not going to be something that's insurmountable if that does happen. 
And I think just to, to reassure people, when we talk about this, it's not like a massive mutation. These are actually more being used to uh, geolocate. I gather that um, it, it's sort of almost like a fingerprint, that they may be able to tell what clusters came from where, not, not actually looking for individual people that bought it, but it's actually just an interesting data collection. That's exactly right. and also reflects that really our, our technology has come so far that we can do this so readily. Mm. So previously we weren't in a position to be able to know that these changes had occurred, but obviously everyone's investing so much time and effort and, and really good research into this virus that we've picked these things up perhaps more readily mm. than we would have previously. So, and that will inform us as to how it's been passed around and where it's potentially come from and maybe even hopefully tell us where it came from originally. So it really reflects that we're in a really strong position in terms of learning a lot more about this more quickly than we ever would have been able to before. Yeah, I mean, look, this the rapid rate of knots that science has been able to move on this is very impressive. And uh, um, it is sort of a war against an unseen uh, foe. And, uh, and that's what they say about war, that that's when all the advances happen. Paul, look, I wish you all the best of luck with the phase one. And uh, I'm sure it'll be fabulous. The best thing we're seeing with COVID is people rising to the occasion to want to help. So if anyone does want to find out more about how they can help be part of this trial, Nucleus Network dot com dot au n-u-c-l-e-u-s network dot com dot au all one word and dr paul griffin thank you so much for your time pleasure anytime thanks excellent and that was uh, dr paul griffin who's infectious diseases specialist and a clinical mi microbiologist from the nucleus network and he's the principal investigator into the covid vaccine trial which is taking place in melbourne and brisbane and uh, you may be able to um, volunteer if you want to uh, 13 13 32 or 96900 693 13 13 32 or 96900 693 after the break we're going to talk about diabetes and um, some of it's good news and some of it's not. Anyway, we'll all rise to the occasion. Stay with us. We'll be back after this.